We are geek-centric, and you can be too. Hello, darlings, and welcome back to the Geek-Centric Podcast. My name is Nate, and today we're reviewing Disney's Cruella. Uh, We'll talk about what worked, what was, well, rather blah, and what wouldn't make it into our fall collection. Uh, But before we get into all that, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a weekly podcast covering the world of film, television, gaming, toys, and collectibles, and all things Geek-Centric. Joining me for today's episode... As always, coming down the runway, we have the tall, trendy, simple, yet elegant, the Vogue One, Jayla by Lawrence. Hello, darling. Hello. <laughs> no kids. Did he just call you simple? Yeah. Well, no, he's very, like, he's, sim- he, you know, he's yeah, very, he elegant likes and minimalist. You know, minimal. Minimalist. Yeah, very yes. clean lines. Clean lines <laughs> all around. And following him... In an Armani vintage remodel, we have the glitziest, the glammiest, geek chic vision of the future of fashion, the catwalk king, Kevin by Hudson. Well, then, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth considering I wear a, a sports team hoodie five days a week, but. Uh... <laughs> Pretty much, right? And backwards baseball cap almost every single time I've ever seen you in your life, except for your wedding. That was about it. Um, how are you guys doing tonight? Good man, good. Good. I'm doing. Good. It. We are. I'm doing poorly. Okay, I'm getting it off my chest. I have to say oh, no. something about the Leafs. Oh, and the, right. and the disappointment that that was. Um, and at least after one of the three back to back to back disappointing losses, I had something nice and lovely to watch, which was the Friends reunion. I'm sure we'll talk mm-hmm. more about that. Uh, in a future episode, but I kind of wish I had almost saved that till Monday when, uh, you know, I was at my lowest of my lows because that, that two hours was better than anything that happened in sports over the last week for me. Yeah. Over the, over, over like the last, like forever. Um, but anyways, (laughs) uh, As I mentioned, this is a review episode, so, you know, no watcha, no news, no fuss, no muss. We are getting straight into this review as our topic of the show. All right, so yes, we are reviewing Disney's Cruella, but first, a little bit of insight. Uh, This is Disney's latest live-action venture, marking it uh, as roughly the 15th modern live-action remake after the initial success of Alice in Wonderland in 2010, uh, which yielded the the House of Mouse a $1 billion return. Um, Since then, the studio has been on the live-action remake train, adapting their cartoons for new generations to come. Disney's Cruella was released on May 28th on Disney+. The movie is directed by Craig Gillespie, and it stars Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, Joel Fry, Paul Walter Hauser, John McRae, Emily Beecham, and Mark Strong. For a brief synopsis, uh, let's get right to it here. Estella is a young and clever grifter who's determined to make a name for herself in the fashion world. She soon meets a pair of thieves who appreciate her appetite for mischief, and together they build a life for themselves on the streets of London. However, when Estella befriends fashion legend Baroness von Hellman, she embraces her wicked side to become the raucous and revenge-bent Cruella. 
Um, all right, guys. So with these reviews, of course, we uh, we want to try to keep it a little bit spoiler free just at the beginning and give our high level thoughts. And, you know, if we have any listeners that are listening to this right now, feel free to continue listening to at least this part, even if you haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, and this might give you an insight, a little bit of insight as to whether you want to you want to see it. So let's start with our high level uh, thoughts. Uh, Justin, let's start with you. I got to say, I wasn't expecting much from this movie, given Disney's track record of turning beloved animated classics to live action. I expected Mm -hmm. this would be more or less the same as the past failed attempts. However, this film is surprisingly good. Much Much like the fashion featured in this film, it's daringly stylish and a fresh take on an iconic character. It grounds itself in a period piece, setting itself amongst a revolutionary time and adds elements of pop culture in and around it. Outstanding performances from both Emma Stone and Emma Thompson. Um... The fashion showcased in this film was incredible. Uh, it was designed by the Academy Award winner, Jenny Beaven. The looks expand to being more than just like flavor to the movie. They're, they're, they're so integral in establishing the characters and their traits and even reaching so far as to set a mood or a tone. And while it's a Disney movie, it doesn't forget it's a story about a villain, uh, allowing it to be dark at times while showing reservation and control all while keeping you entertained and even at times at the edge of your seat. In the end, the film does deliver probably what will be Disney's most successful translation from animated to live action with a very bold take, in my opinion. So... I don't know. That's giving away too much, but high level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think you mentioned a lot of what, you know, we're about to talk about in terms of what worked. But um, I mean, that's kind of the the thing that I, I again, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this film as well. And it's going to be hard to, to not just talk about all the things that we loved right off the bat. But uh, Kevin, how about yourself? If you want to give some high level thoughts on uh, on Cruella? Uh, I mean, right off the bat, I, I, I guess, you know, uh, maybe I've enjoyed some of the live action films that have come out over the last 15 years more than uh, perhaps Justin. Um, so I wouldn't rank it at the top of that list. Um you know, I'm trying to think of some that I'd like better just off the top of my head. But uh, I think Jungle Book might be the best one they've done, um, mm. you know. But uh, in agreeing with Justin, I had – it's not that I had low expectations for this. I just had no expectations. It wasn't something that was on my calendar that I couldn't wait to watch. It was just, you know, something that was going to be there because it was coming out on Disney Plus And because of the situation, like, I don't know. I don't know if I would have rushed out to theaters to see this. But being on Disney Plus, it was something I wasn't going to miss, obviously, um, and was pleasantly surprised with how much I did come out um, enjoying a, a, a film of this nature. Because you know how I feel about prequels, guys. 100%. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the issues I have with prequels are kind of addressed in this, and so we'll definitely be breaking that down. Um, but uh, I think some of the performances were, were absolutely wonderful, uh, especially from the two leads, if you're into camp. I mean, th- these mm. aren't like necessarily Oscar-worthy performances, but they are so over the top and yes. so campy that they are—they just popped. And then I think some of the supporting work. Um, you know, my one biggest um, anticipation for this movie uh, was w- from a certain actor and whether he would deliver. And uh, I think he more than did. I'll save my more specific thoughts for that idea as we break this down. But. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was bold. Uh, it was dark for a Disney movie. Um, and as Justin mentioned, production design, costume design, hair and makeup are all 
those are all Oscar worthy in my opinion. And so they really helped. And the soundtrack was just banging. It was great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I, and, you know, I think the, the, you know, the, the fact that this was a song where, or, sorry, a, a movie where the songs actually helped so much to elevate, um, even though it wasn't a traditional Disney musical, right? There wasn't really that much uh, singing in it, if any. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just like you guys, I was I was kind of uh, taken aback by by how much I enjoyed it, and um, you know, just the biggest thing, I was so let down by Mulan. Yeah, um, I remember yeah. going into Mulan, we were we were kind of really pumped for it. We thought it just looked so beautiful, and it still looked pretty beautiful in certain moments. But um, but no, it just it this th- that seeing that did not give me high hopes for this. But no, this this does exactly what uh, I've always said I wanted from these live action Disney movies, and I've I've said this in previous podcasts where you know, like Maleficent, it it flips the script, right? It gives older audiences uh, a new perspective on the stories that they grew up right. with. So, but and at the same time, I think it actually does a better job at achieving those goals than yeah. even uh, Maleficent did. So mm. it was a great period piece. Um, kept me entertained through, I would say, most of its two hour and 15 minute runtime. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of touch upon that a little bit later. But, um, you know, I'd say if you enjoyed Maleficent, you'll you'll enjoy this for sure. And I'm I'm happy to say that also this movie isn't really for kids. Um, you know, other than like the terribly CGI dogs, there really isn't much for them to enjoy. And honestly, I'm totally fine with that. There's a ton of wonderful content on Disney Plus for kids. Um, the fact that they were able to take this character that probably most kids don't even really know uh, and keep it for the people who grew up, uh, I think is fantastic. It's dark at times um, and gave me a lot of Joker vibes. I know we talked about that going in with the initial trailers, the initial looks at this film, but um, I got a lot of jo- Joker vibes with the transformation of uh, Estella to Cruella. Mm. Um, so guys, that is our high level thoughts. Very spoiler free. We try to be as, as uh, vague as we possibly can. Uh, of course, going forward, we are going to be just you know, we can throw in any spoiler we want. Um, so hopefully if you uh, are listening up until now and haven't seen it, go check it out uh, and then come right back here, you know, faster than maybe one of the, the Baroness's helpers would get her <laughs> tea or some cucumber slices. Um, all right, let's let's get into it, guys. Uh, I want to know what worked for you from this movie, Justin. Um, I think grounding the film uh, as a story in the 60s and 70s worked on so many levels. Uh, it's a time when anti-authority and social movements were taking place, very similar to the movement that we're seeing with Cruella, uh, starting against the Baroness. Um, this is most significantly represented, obviously, in the fashion. Again, Jenny Jenny Beaven did an unbelievable job differentiating Cruella's look from that of the Baroness. Uh, the Baroness style was very traditional, regal, conventional, even a little bit more rigid. Uh, while Cruella's couture look is fused with with old and new, and adopting the alternative, uh, punk inspired, very German new wave. Um, also, there was just such control over making this feel timely with fashion as it looked more like clothing rather than just costuming. Uh, this is right. apparent in the wide range of styles that we see outside of Cruella and the Baroness. So more of the side characters like Horace and Jasper, we, we you know, they're sort of street style attire, uh, if you will. Um, placing the story in the 60s and 70s allows the director and the screenwriter to put these characters into a more exciting movement in fashion. And also a shout out to the art director, Martin Foley, and the production designer Fiona Crombie for just capturing the look and feel and, and well, overall vibe of 1970s London. Like it just, to a T, they just knocked it out of the park. 
yeah, I mean the the set design. I mean, you kind of brought it up there, right? Like the, I think the fact that the, a lot of this movie relies on indoor environments. So when we did get outside, it was mm-hmm. really cool just to see how how well London was done. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I've been there. Not, not I haven't been there in the seventies, but I've been there before, and it just brought me right back. And yeah, even the fashion throughout, like from the you, you were mentioning, um, you know, from um, the Baroness to Cruella. I think also again, as you mentioned, the streetwear, the rags that they all yeah, wear, yeah. Um, and even what Estella was wearing, or what her yes. mom, uh, or you know, I, again, we're spoilers now, so her non-mom uh, was wearing. Um, I just thought, you know, all of it was was so well. Uh, implemented and uh, yeah, definitely a huge focus on fashion in the movie. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's that's like that's my jam. Like I'm a huge fan of the Devil Wears Prada, as you guys would know from from our guilty pleasures. Uh, in terms of the story, I love how they use the mentor mentee trope in the story. Uh, something that isn't new, especially when you think of a film like Devil Wears Prada. But it's very right. customary that anyone in Estella's shoes would want to be appreciated and, and valued by the one that she admires and looks up to. So that felt very relatable uh, as an audience member, just to kind of put myself in her shoes. I think what's really interesting is obviously the twist. uh, And if we are getting into spoiler territories, uh, where we see that she's really seeking her mother's approval the whole time. Um, I think that that's that's actually really interesting. Um, The twist was, you know, was done well. But to be honest, it, it was something that I was already kind of feeling or vibing off of just when you saw the two of them on screen. So I wasn't that surprised. Like a lot of people were like, oh, I was super surprised by that. I was just like, really? I, I feel like there was a lot of, you know, cookie crumbs there that were, were just kind of planted. But, uh, you know, they definitely took that mentor and mentee sort of trope and just kind of implemented that, you know, uh, parental sort of familial element into it that I thought was just an interesting take. So, you know, that those are the things that worked for me. No, for sure. And I mean, you mentioned the twists. I thought I thought the multiple twists would really start to bug me after like the second one, then the third one. Um, but I actually found myself like gasping and just having fun with them. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then just a really quick thing on the, the storyline, you know, young Estella, um, I think worked really well. Um, and but I do think like it was that was the part of the movie that's even just right at the beginning. I was like, Okay. It stayed All right, it's come on, a let's go. It's too long though. A little bit too long. But it, but listen, I actually think no, I actually think it, it hit it started to and I started literally the moment I thought in my brain this is too much of the kid stuff, it instantly flipped uh, to the adult stuff and I, I really appreciated that. Kevin, how about yourself? What what worked for you with uh, Cruella? Um obviously I think it's just these broader things that we we've already discussed so much um uh that that work and so it's hard for me to 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 say anything that hasn't been said so far. I think I'll be a lot more nitpicky just in small little details for what didn't work. Uh, But one thing that hasn't been mentioned yet that I thought was really, really well done. um, And I mean, I guess I'm not so proficient on the technical side of things, so I'm not sure if this is specifically for uh, director Craig Gillespie or uh, maybe the cinematographer, but I thought the camera work in this movie was really fun. Like the camera was always moving. You were always sort of flying through these scenes. You were flying into scenes through windows and stuff. And I didn't really expect that um, as much as it was like, and it, it gave it 
that sort of fast moving heist vibe whenever they were doing those those little heists and everything and just you could feel the bustling of that fashion office as we were flying through areas seeing people do their work and so i was just really impressed by that even to go off of that the scene where she's actually uh estella goes into the baroness's like sort of fashion studio and just you know the vastness of how like the camera swoops from the high angle down towards her to yeah. make her so minuscule and small under under the eyes of of the baroness like they use the camera work in, in a very integral way and i think that that's attributed to both director and cinematographer really collaborate and figure out how do you move the camera so it doesn't feel so sterile but it just has that sort of nice move to it that just feels very appropriate to the time. Yeah and and with the soundtrack that's going on like it just gave you that high energy sort of feel uh, the whole time which which helped I think just sort of move the movie along and move it you moves. through these. It moves. Yeah, that, yeah, it does this move. Movie, this movie. I mean, there moves was well. there was a point right towards the end where I had to pause for a quick washroom break and went, "Oh, there's 35 minutes left here." Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. then, but then even that 35 minutes didn't feel like another 35 yeah. minutes. You know, so while it was probably a bit too long, um, you know, it didn't feel too long for most of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to kind of jump back to that. We were talking about the music uh, earlier and just I think, yeah, the choices were fantastic. There were so many tracks that, um, you know, at at points in times I thought, okay, maybe there's a little too many because it was kind of felt like a music video at certain points. Um, But, you know, you've got Queen, Tina Turner, Super Tramp. um, And I thought it just it when it did use the music, it used it effectively. But there there was a lot of it. And I think that that was the reason for the, for this movie costing like what 200 million that's what they say like it cost 200 yeah. million and 75% of that was on music rights you know and so <laughs> they crazy. were bloody well going to use that music right right yeah yeah and i you know i also wanted to just shout out like while we're we're talking about what worked. Obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, the characters and, and, of course, the performances. Yeah, I saved all um, that. Yeah, no worries. Uh, but I think what we should kind of mention is any standout moments. Um, I just want to shout out mine in case you guys take them. Uh, the dress made from moth larvae was one of those twists that I just thought was so smart. And that was one where I didn't feel like, oh, gosh. like It was just so cool how they revealed it um, and how the characters reacted to it. And then the la- the other one that just stays stays with me, and I think it stays with a lot of people that watch this movie, is the final ball reveal where all the guests are dressed as Cruella, and you just sort of slowly see that ramping up, and then you know the the Baroness walks out, and she just sees a sea of black and white hair. I just I, I freaking loved it. Were there any like really standout moments that stuck with you guys? I, I think one standout moment um, uh, would be the. The scene after she's she realizes uh, that the Baroness is her mother, and she's just she steals that bike and she's riding through what looks to be a very pastel sunrise uh, over England, and you know she's she's just sort of distraught. And I don't know, it just it it felt so like you just looking looking at her, and she's basically processing what she's learned, you know, only to get to the fountain that at uh at regent's park i think it is and you know just to kind of you know have her final goodbye to the memory of what was her her fake mother if you will sure um yeah. you know i think that that scene really stood out and and it's almost really that that transition where we see her fully adopt because i think throughout the movie they, they really played with you know is she just grifting like we obviously know right. she's going to go down that road of being cruella but what is it what is it that's really gonna gonna hook her and i think that this was it. It was the fact that she knew that she was already this person to begin with. 
and you know it was just a very very nice telling moment of where we actually got to see that that full switch over from Estella yeah, to cool. to Cruella and where we know that she's not coming back mm-hmm. yeah it was it was it was, a, it was a cool scene I, I thought it was well acted very cool yeah no I that was that was when Estella died exactly right? that was a, the moment and you see that smile oh okay I can't wait to talk about her performance but before we get to the characters and those wonderful performances I want to know uh let's talk about what didn't work let's kind of go in and and kind of um you know I for as much as I love the movie and it was I was surprised by it there, I do have some stuff to kind of mention uh, but before I get to any of that let's see if you guys thought the same things Justin uh, let's hear from you. Well, I just want to jump in here because you guys were talking about the tracks and, and I, I definitely love the music. I actually, I downloaded the soundtrack cause I, I loved it so much. All the music that was there. I do agree with you guys though. There was way too much of it and it almost felt yeah. like they were hitting you over the head just to remind you, this is where we are. This is what time period we are in. Also, it just kind of felt like it was always this sort of, um, beginning to a new tone or mood that needed to be established um there were some really great moments like again that that scene where she walks into the baroness's office and she sees the dresses the couture dresses and walking in and and to the song feeling good and you know you see the baroness come out and address everyone like that felt very intentional whereas everything else just felt very much like let's just remind people that this is the 70s and this is the time period. So it didn't all need to be there. And some of it was so on the nose, like, you know, these boots are made for walking. You know what I mean? Like they should have relied more on the look and the vibe that they were going for through the art direction and the set design and the fashion. And I think that. I think the track that plays when when her apartment is burning down, uh, Smile. <laughs> and, you know, and it's just it's just one of those things where it's like, Okay, we don't need more reason to just think this is a ripoff of Joker yes, in this moment, exactly, right? And so, exactly. like, with that song being so synonymous with the trailers and the marketing for that movie, for sure, um, I was just like, I was like, oh, they could have picked, it, like, they should have just picked any other dramatic song for that moment, hundred um, percent. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, it fit, but it it, it shouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I thought of that like really didn't work because I only have two things, and that is the length. Uh, it did feel a bit long. I had one of those moments exactly like Kevin where. Uh, you know, I, I always feel like a good movie is a movie where you where you're watching it, and naturally, as you watch it, you feel like it's coming to its end, it's concluding, mm. like it's reaching its totally. ending. But it felt like that happened once, and then there was another one yes. on top of it. Yes, and then the Lord of the Rings, exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we call it the the you know LOTR yeah. effect. So it had that LOTR <laughs> effect, and yeah, um, you know, it could have been cool to just you know have Cruella apparently dead. And, you know, she never does get her revenge. You know, she never did get it. But it, it, you know, resulted in another heist, if you will, which felt very rushed, which leads me to like kind of like the ending just felt kind of rushed at the end, Uh, Mm. you know, just kind of like thrown together. Here's your happy ending, you know, Disney style. So, um, yeah, the bad guy gets taken to jail. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, how about yourself? I know you got some nitpicky stuff. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like Justin just nailed it there. The uh, the whole Disney ending to a movie that was so anti-Disney leading up to that. And, mm-hmm. and and it just doesn't make sense for this character because what happens in between this and 101 Dalmatians that that changes the character from where we leave her off, right? Uh, right. You know, she's she's an owner of Dalmatians. And yet, if if we're supposed to believe that this is sort of, in a fun way, a precursor to either the, the, the live-action... 101 from uh, 1996 or the cartoon right. from before wh- wh- why does she st- you know all of a sudden forget what Dalmatians are 
you know, ooh, the spots. I've never seen spots like this. You've seen spots like this on the Dalmatians that you apparently owned. Right. And, you know, um, so that like it just it just, that just bugs me that they left it off in such a way that it doesn't make sense that her character would go in the direction that we see the character go in, in other movies. Um, and I'm just not sure what the point was. As a result, what was the point here of this movie? To We didn't really get a reason for why she is Cruella, given how the movie ends. You know, it's it doesn't seem like the same character. She seemed more Cruella before the resolution of this film. You know what I mean? I just... Yeah. I, so that's it. It just, it just like, at the end of it, it was like, that was fun and fine. But what was really the point, you know? Yeah, I, I, I want to jump in on the, the whole uh, Disneyfication as we keep talking about. I I wanted to just jump in and just mention um, some of the missteps with the dialogue. I just felt there were certain moments where I was wishing this movie wasn't a Disney movie with lines like, oh, fart, or, <laughs> oh, that's why you're peeved. It just felt really immature. And I get that these characters are Disney characters and it's extra. Uh, and I get that they have to, you know, make sure that, you know, kids are watching this so they can't swear or whatever. But I just felt like those lines just felt, they, they, they took me out of it. They took me out of it. Um, and other dialogue choices in terms of like the storyline with her, her full name origin reveal. Like it was, Yo, it was, was Han dumb. Solo all over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it, she sees a Panther DeVille show up and she's like, I like that name. And it's like, what? But I mean, Cruella did it, drive... Uh, sure, but it didn't need it, it. Didn't need it. It didn't. We don't need to explain. Like, I, listen. I know it's an origin story. I know it's a Disney it origin it. story. Yeah, we don't need it. to explain that. <laughs> we don't need to explain her her first name and her last name. Don't both need to be explained. You know. I don't know. No, just, I, I agree. With was you. I agree with you, Nate. That also goes into like I guess a, a third thing that I, you know, I appreciated it, but I I don't think it was needed, and that's the shoehorn ending of seeing sure. Roger on the piano and uh, being donated a Dalmatian and crew. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, and it, and it, it doesn't. It that also doesn't make sense because his name is Roger Darling. So why was it Anita Darling? She wouldn't right. be Anita Darling until they met and got married. So that didn't make so, any sense to me. So I think a lot of this, Kevin. To be honest with you, I I think this is them saying we're remaking these characters. This is not this is not a prequel. This is a new version of. But these right, characters. is but the they, intention to make another? 101 which, Dalmatians. Which is, which honestly, this is where um, I get to probably my biggest issue with the movie is that, especially the ending, it feels like they're setting it this up. It feels like a, a setup. And I yeah. really don't want it because honestly, it didn't work for Maleficent. It didn't work for Alice in Wonderland. Now, did it make Disney a, a, a ton more money? Sure, absolutely. But it, it just, it doesn't, it won't work here. And I, I get that these movies are going to make that money, but it, this is an original story. It's great. And we don't need to see it go further. I think this is this was a great place to leave these characters. I I think though, like I agree with you. This film does not need a sequel by any means. Mm-hmm. And and whatever they're doing at the end there, if it's not to say that you know these are the new characters and potentially just maybe hinting at what if there's a possibility of doing something, whether it be some sort of a series or or something like that, that's on Disney Plus. Um, there was a conversation though with. Uh, the two Emmas, where they said they would come back to do a sequel if it was done in a Godfather 2 style, where it was a prequel sequel sort of 
mentality, which again is the big appreciation of Godfather. So you would see the prequel story of kind of like Emma Thompson's character, while also seeing you know the current where Cruella is. Um, that's an interesting concept, I would say. And you know they they did a great job. It would just it would just be a matter of of there actually being a story to tell. Because I hope that whatever they do, if they were to decide to do a sequel. Again, it doesn't need it, and I don't want them to do it personally. But if they were to do it, I hope it just doesn't jump to 101 Dalmatians a redo a redo of that. But to go, but to go back, Justin, uh, there's a shout out to to uh, Pitch Meeting on YouTube. If you ever get a chance to watch Pitch Meeting, this guy does like a ton of these YouTube videos where he pretends to be a a film exec and a writer mm-hmm. and. Even he called out in his pitch meeting for for Cruella, uh, where he was just saying, oh, this is an origin story um, about a villain who has a villain in the movie that she becomes. And then the guy's like, oh, well, couldn't we just make another origin story for that villain who has a villain who they eventually become? And so it sounds like that's what the two Emmas are, are, are you know, suggesting here. And I'm like, no, like, what, they, what do they, they just keep doing that. It, it I don't know. I, it doesn't need it. It, they, it doesn't they, they wrapped it. it up. I, I agree. I, 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 in the no, right way. In no way do I think that they need to actually do it. This was a good one and done and it would be nice to see Disney not say well let's let's stretch this a little bit more but as we know from the success of their other films they're, they're likely to do that they're very likely yeah. to look at this and say you know what it was really good or hopefully whoever is making these decisions looks at it and just goes okay we're done with that let's move on to another <laughs> yeah yeah um, I just wanted to just touch one more thing upon the ending uh, for my for my what didn't work and I'm just a little confused so they must have changed the origin of Pongo and Perdita because, like, they're brother and sister. Like, do they not end up having puppies or is that not an issue for dogs or, you know, because Genghis is their mom. And so either that's an oversight or, like, that, is that just something that's accepted in the animal world? Are we? Am I overthinking it? Like, I don't know. It, it would just kind of, like... You would I avoid just, that, I believe. Right? Um, so. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> Usually you would avoid that. So I was just, like, I got to that ending and I got to work the next day and a friend of mine just came up to me and, and he was like, hey, just... I, I don't, have you seen Cruella? I don't want to ruin the ending for you, but this might ruin it. And I was like, go for it. And then he tells me this, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, it didn't ruin the movie for me, but just that last little moment, which I initially was like, oh, puppies, turned into like, oh, it was just, okay. It was just one of those few tiny little character, like, really, like their characters, Pongo and Perdita, obviously. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's these little character details that they don't wrap up to lead into what we know of the 101 Dalmatian story. Correct. And I mean, that story is Pongo and Perdita meet and have 101 kids that Cruella DeVille wants to capture and kill and turn into a jacket. Like, that is what that movie is about. Right. So the only thing I can think of is then they're going to go a very different direction with it. Pongo and Perdita are going to be brother and sister, and they're going to uh, fall into a vat full of puppies. I don't know. And, there's, and then there's 101 of them. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not this, a writer, you know? You know, it's this alternate dimension where the characters yeah. exist, but their story is slightly different. And For sure. Either way, sure. this is the only part of that story I would like to see. I don't need any more of it <laughs> Yeah, at all. I agree. That's, that's it. This is yeah. it, you know? Cool. Uh, let's get into characters with, with a tight cast of you know, uh, characters featured in this movie, were there any standouts and then were there any sort of forgettable characters? Kevin? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to jump in here because I know you guys are going to uh, talk a lot about uh, the two leads. Um, but for me, when we talked about this movie months ago, I said the one thing I'm really looking forward to based off of the trailer 
was Paul Walter Hauser. And yeah. he was my favorite part of the movie. He delivered nice. what I wanted from him. I thought he was lovely and sweet and that perfect bumbling sidekick character that I always love in this type of movie. I thought Joel Fry was also great. Like so they nice. were such a fun and realistic representation of the Jasper and Horace bumbling buffoons. Yeah. Um, I didn't like how mean she was to them. And, and especially mm-hmm. Jasper being the smarter one, he kept forgiving her for being mean to him, you know? And like, even in that last shot where he's like, so what now? And she's just like, you know, I've got some plans. And he's probably just sitting there going, oh, why do I keep hanging around this woman? <laughs> she's he's in love with her. Like, you know, but, but no, for me, it was Paul Walter Hauser delivered exactly what I wanted from him in that role. So I was thrilled. And quick shouts to Wink the dog. Um, absolutely yeah. adorable. The two, the two dogs that weren't Buddy and CGI yeah. Dalmatians, I thought mm-hmm. were great and a lot of fun. And I always love really well-orchestrated animal stunts and, and choreography like that. So yeah, I thought the, the two little dogs were great. Yeah, I think I think they did a good job for when they weren't uh, CGI yes. blurry messes. Um, but no, I think uh, Paul Walterhauser uh, gave a serviceable English accent. It was serviceable it was, at that. It, it wasn't yeah, it was, any less believable than Emma Stone's. Like I don't I, think hers I, I, sure. was like you know hers was great. <laughs> sure uh, was thought, from a campy standpoint, sure. Yeah, right? yeah but I, I also think though that again plays into their characters of being these fashionistas, these you know bigger than life characters. You know, yeah, Cruella sure. becomes that. You know, Estelle is not really that. Um, Emma Stone was incredible. She played two characters in this movie. Uh, the hard knock, sometimes awkward, uh, not so confident Estella, and then an over-the-top fashionista who has no cares and is confident uh, in execution uh, as Cruella. Uh, this created two distinctively different people so that when we see Estella go full Cruella, um, like for the audience, it's, it's very apparent. Um, it appeared as, you know, as if we were meeting someone for the first time, very much like, you know, Horace and and Jasper felt in the film. So we, we kind of connected with that. And speaking Mm. of, of which, as, as Kevin mentioned, Joel Fry gave such depth to an otherwise lackey of a character like Jasper. He was charming. He was, he was sincere and, and fun. Uh, he served as a bit of innocence throughout the story as he hoped that his friend Estella would, would return, uh, after they achieved Cruella's ultimate goal. And Horace, yeah, Horace was great as well. He was the right amount of English style humor humor even though he's not from england and he 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 gave that accent um collectively this this trio of grifters really worked worked very very well on screen um yeah yeah Yeah, i i mean i like joel fry really brought jasper to new heights like he reinvented that character and he, he actually made him something somebody i actually cared about like i would never think of Jasper as a Disney like oh name one of your favorite Disney characters Jasper is never going to come up in that conversation so um seeing him here I I, I really enjoyed that and uh so now I, he listen, will? I agree with he, what's that Jasper now be one of your favorite characters Jasper uh maybe one of my favorite live action characters sure. <laughs> um, I mean that, but that's Joel Fry for you right like <laughs> yes his character that's more yesterday is so lovely and right. just yeah. so likable that he yeah he just rings through even in Game of Thrones where he was mm. such a minor character but the five minutes of screen time he'd get an episode in the six episode arc he got that he was he was a standout on screen amongst these huge characters. And that's impressive yeah. to do. And Justin, you got to you got to gush over the first Emma. Let me gush over the second one. Uh, Emma Thompson 
is she's just she's equally great in this movie and i think the the biggest thing that i noticed was like she's portraying a character that she's able to stand on her own but she still is believable in being the inspiration for cruella Deville, mm. which i think that's something to be m- massively applauded like that is such a a hard thing to do mm-hmm. and shout out to the to whoever wrote for that character but also just her performance i loved every single moment she was on screen and seeing her you know from every just every little detail that she did whether it be throwing cucumbers at her lawyer yeah. after he puts her shoes on or like the moment in the in the car very early on in the movie where she just she finishes like her her breakfast and then just takes the napkin and the plate and tosses it out the window of her car as they're driving like she just she just did such a good job with a character that I never knew I wanted. It, it almost makes you wonder: had they not gone for the gone the prequel that doesn't quite make sense route, and had yeah. actually just remade 101 Dalmatians, she Emma Thompson clearly would have been perfect as Cruella. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Now it might have been a bit too close to like that Glenn Close uh, role. And so, you know, it's probably best that they did steer clear of just remaking that flat out. But, yeah, she was great as that inspiration for for Cruella, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think Emma Thompson, she she knocked it out of the park. Uh, She is very much the future. Like you're saying, she is the future Cruella. She was cold, calculated. She did some shit that would make anyone lose sleep. Um, She didn't care. And she made that quite clear as she was talking to Estella. and her character embodied that in 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 every in every capacity. Um, at times, her character I felt was very similar to Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada. Yet again, um, and for the reason for that reason alone, I think that uh, the Baroness might be one of my favorite Disney villains. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I will absolutely. I will say though, uh, I know there there was importance to Mark Strong's character, but he felt a bit underutilized and was Super kind of forgettable. Underutilized. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. if it wasn't for the fact that he was the one to reveal the twist, I would have forgotten him. I mean, he, he, he saved her life back way back sure. when, right? He was yeah. very integral, but like Mark Strong is one of those guys who just pops usually, you know, and, and he's often playing the bad guy. So it's always nice when he plays a good guy, but he's so much better in that role in Kingsman than he was in this, where like you said, just, they just underutilized him. It was kind of, it was kind of like John McRae, uh, who played Artie. Uh, I thought he's really fascinating character who doesn't have much to do. He was her designer. Well, they, they, here's the thing: they, they, he was a fascinating character. I, I think they, they kept going back to him, and those scenes fell out of place. They, they, they were, they were the moments in the movie where I kind of was just like, oh, we're, we're back here again. Okay, um, and it, it just felt like they filmed them back to back with a quick costume change, even though they took a place at very different parts of the movie. Um, I don't know. He, he was a great side character, but I felt like they could have utilized him a little more effectively, and I feel like they, they didn't want to overstuff the movie, which is maybe why they did that. Yeah, but even he says at one point, like, so what am I doing here? What, what, what is this? What is the point of this for <laughs> right. me? Right? He yeah, even calls yeah. it out. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with that sentiment. I think I think they they thought you know three is enough. We'll throw this guy in it. We won't make it overstuffed and too overcrowded, and he'll just be this sort of you know fashion lackey. You know what I mean? While while you know she has her trio of grifters, this you know Artie is is kind of the the one that brings her designs to life. 
but right? but you didn't but you didn't get to actually see that. Yeah, they could have a fun montage scene. Yeah, yeah. like if he made like one of her dresses that was going to be an important part of the movie or something. I thought that would have yeah. been cool. Yeah. He would have felt very much like the Cinna character in the Hunger Games. For those who might have watched that, right? Like oh. I would have gotten those vibes. But um, listen, I like the Hunger Games. Um, yeah, but like uh, listen, one of the things <laughs> I didn't realize was. Um, you know, Kayvan Novak and Kirby Howell Baptiste as, right, the Roger and Anita, I, I, I will say I, I liked that I didn't realize who they were mm-hmm. until the end of the movie. Yeah. I didn't pick up on it. Maybe I just didn't really have the original in my mind as I went into the or movie. It, it was all about Cruella for me. They weren't. They, maybe that could have been it too, though. <laughs> right. But, like, I kind of really enjoyed, like, at the end, I was like, oh, shoot. Oh shoot! His name's Roger. Her name's Anita. Yeah. Oh, like I don't know. Maybe I'm just a, the the dumb but moviegoer. I, but no, no. But I I agree. Like when they brought up Roger the second time and she was firing him, I'm like, and he's like walking away. I'm like, like that. It's is the is there a possibility that that is him, right? And that is the right. Roger. But I mean, it had sure to enough. be right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just what a waste of Caven, uh, Caven Novak. Like the guy can play such a character, and he was very just one dimensional and. Yeah. Pretty invisible in his limited role, you know. I need to. I need to serve her purpose, and and you know she was perfectly serviceable. And you know, kudos to Disney for not just casting two uh, white British actors that you would sure. just you know that would look the part and and just be serviceable in that mm-hmm. way, you know. Uh, but they were very shoehorned in and didn't serve much of a purpose. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I. I, I yeah. I, again, I, I enjoyed that, that that I forgot about them, but maybe that was also not the best thing. Um, we have a write-in question from Anne from Niagara Falls, uh, who asks, with so many incredible costumes in the movie, what was your favorite look, and would you rock it down the runway? Justin, I want to hear, what was your favorite look, Ugh, and would you man, rock that down dude, the there's runway? There's so many good looks. Like, that, like, Phoenix... So Red dress that she wears oh to the ball Hunger Games. was Hunger Games. Yeah. It was two Hunger yeah. Games. That was two <laughs> yeah, Hunger Games yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, that was really great. Like that first reveal. Uh, I love the garbage dress, especially how it was revealed. That that whole scene just embodies the wow factor or, or the showstopper that is fashion. Uh, the inventing the inventiveness of that look uh, with the train was absolutely stunning. Um, but I would say I loved her. What I'm dubbing because I couldn't find a name for it. Uh, the La Revolution look where she's standing on the car wearing oh, yeah. that gorgeous long black and red flowing dress uh, with a military style jacket. Uh, very, I think it's almost like naval. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'd rock that jacket with a pair of skinnies and some chucks for sure. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if I'd pull off that dress. I don't know. I, I, I think might you be could, too, Justin. I might be too tall. So I, No, I think you'd rock it. And I think you'd have that little leg slit. That yeah, it opens sure. up, and yeah. then and then that would like I you know you'd see me sitting in the, yeah, I'd go, the I'd wear the dark through the window I'd probably wear the you. dark makeup on the eyes before I wear that yeah. dress with that there jacket. You go. But yeah, that that jacket was was fly like the little gold trim on the edges and all the all yeah. the badges. So I, I loved that look, and that's another example of like just fusing that old with new while still you know feeling couture and and just very refined and and formed um, for sure. It was beautiful, and you know, like I gotta say, you know. Uh, speaking about someone who has worn guy liner before, Kevin, uh, what would you? What look would you rock uh, down the runway from this movie? 
Yeah, Guyliner Kev. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, for me, I'm gonna go get a nice bespoke suit from there. That's that's you know, <laughs> I, I don't think I have the legs to pull off any of the dresses. Let's just be honest yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. I have the bust, but not the legs. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you guys mentioned my two favorite dresses. Um, obviously, like the the larva dress. Uh, it's just it was it was so striking before we had any clue just how yeah. d- deep that was about to go. Um, uh, and then Justy stole my other one with the uh, that that garbage truck dress. It is just that was such an amazing visual that just that was for me almost like a whoa moment. Like it was just so cool. So those were those were certainly my two favorites. Yeah, for me, listen, I mean, we all we all sort of thought all the same things then because yeah, like the mar- the the moth larvae dress was so intricate and just seeing like the fact that she had to like hand stitch every single one of those, but she, you know each time she did, she knew it would be worth it. But no, for me, the one I would want to rock uh, and my favorite was the flowy garbage dress. I think it was cool, especially because it was a callback to earlier in the movie when Estella is taking out the trash when she's working at Liberty of right, London, of and, and it it breaks on her. Yeah. And I was just like, "That's that's so cool." Now she's actually wearing it. Um, and you know, as for me wearing it, you know, well, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of like uh, Horace. I'm a bigger guy, so I think the poofy nature of the dress would fit my curves nicely. Um, plus, I'd get to ride on the back of a garbage truck for the night, which sounds like a lot of fun down the street. <laughs> of London are you kidding me during a cop chase let's go <laughs> um, well thank you Anne for, for writing in that question uh, and if you want to write in the show just like Anne did well listen you don't have to sashay away in your best Chanel or Balenciaga instead you can just write into the show uh, Justin can you let our fantastic looking listeners know how they can reach us why of course darling they can reach <laughs> us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com that's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com specifically we for those who don't quite <laughs> yeah, understand it's that not VR. We it's are. not VR yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right guys well listen um we are we are getting to the end here of our uh, of our review of course unless like this movie we want to add another ending and another ending but uh for our final thoughts uh let's get into it i want to know your final thoughts and i'd love to know your final score uh which we're going to be giving out designer dresses uh for this final score so out of five designer dresses kevin let's start with your final thoughts um okay again uh was pleasantly surprised by just how much i found myself enjoying the the movie Uh, i think there was enough fun performances from i guess what you'd call your four you, you know your two leads and then your two sort of secondary characters um uh i had fun with any any time they can properly uh, use uh, dogs to, to 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 be sort of fun sidekick characters. I always get a hoot out of that, just being a dog guy myself. Yeah. Um. Again, we've hit on it so many times: the fashion, the 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 set design, um, the 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 overused bump and soundtrack. All of these things sort of just gave it such a a unique and powerful look that some of the shortcomings I have with maybe the, the, the point of, of this movie in general being a prequel and all that. And some of the weird tie-ins that don't quite work with the existing 101 Dalmatians properties. Um, I will give this 3.6 out of five designer dresses. So about a 72%. Okay. All right. Very cool. Justin, how about yourself? Again, I was not expecting much from this movie given past efforts, but I was pleasantly surprised and entertained. Uh, So many smart decisions were made to make this movie what it is. Uh, 
Craig Gillespie did an outstanding job bringing together so many elements uh, to really shine in this film. From its focus on fashion to the use of music combined with a period piece narrative, uh, the dynamic between Estella, Cruella, and the Baroness was outstanding. Um, the style of storytelling feels to internalize more of a, a victim-like story perspective of Cruella. It's plausible that he's playing with a two-sided depiction through Estella and Cruella being like a, a split personality and, and, and in a way commenting on it, uh, fueled by loss and distress. Uh, and he does this in a cheeky way without going full Joker style, in my opinion, right? Uh, that being said, this film is fun while still being mischievous with incredible performances and a bold, stylish take. Therefore, I give this film a 4.1 out of five designer dresses. Wow. All right. Very cool. Um, yeah. This, this in, in my opinion, is actually Disney's best example of what they can do with their established properties to keep them fresh and exciting for fans who grew up with their stories. Um, I think this movie blends the right amount of action, humor, backstabbing, and intrigue. Uh, and it does so with two incredible performances that really anchor the film and elevate the original characters while also still paying homage to, to what came before. Um, I think it, yeah, it's a tad too long, minor pacing, dialogue issues aside, um, and it does, or sorry, it does underutilize some of its additional cast, but with the incredible costuming and set design, anyone who's into high fashion, 1970s London architecture, or revenge stories will will dig this movie quite a bit, and I, I do think that this movie better get nominated for uh, for for set design or for for uh, costuming, I, I really think for costuming uh, we got to see at least a nom. But um, you know, I don't think this movie really works for younger kids, uh, and they may find themselves bored at times. So if you if you got really little ones with you, you may want to hold off from from having them enjoy it with you. But you know, I'd I'd say like ten and older, maybe thirteen and older uh, would would actually you know enjoy the movie. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it, uh, and I really hope they don't make a sequel even though it feels like they're going to make a sequel, so we'll see. Um, but for all these reasons and what we've discussed, I think it was a wonderful ensemble. Uh, so I'm giving Cruella four designer dresses out of five. Nice. Nice. All right, well, that wraps up our review. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and if you did, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is the minimum, and like the Baroness, we will expect nothing less because... We are Geekcentric, and you can be too, uh, which means you can also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric, follow us on Twitter at geekcentricyt, and follow us on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. Also, we have our ongoing watch club for Disney Plus's latest Star Wars animated series, The Bad Batch, so be sure to check that out with episode six dropping this Monday. And for any of our gaming fans, you can join me over on Twitch, guys, listen, I just upgraded and I am going to be building my own PC. I am very scared about this, but I've got some wonderful people helping me out. I've always been an Apple guy, so it's it's going to be weird using a PC, but I am I'm just so excited to see how this thing handles and, you know, everything I'm going to throw at it and just see how how smoothly it operates. So, um it just means money, more opportunities. Well, I mean, you know, let's let's see how it handles that as well. Now, is this for um, is this for gaming purposes? It's for it's for streaming, but it, it opens up the opportunity to play games that are exclusively on PC, and it it also just lets me do things that like 
there's so many streamers out there that are doing so cool, so many cool things that I just can't do because I'm not streaming using a PC. So uh, this is going to be really, really fantastic, and uh, I hope you'll join us, uh, join me uh, as I as I stream Twitch.tv/NatePlaysGames. Come hang out, come tune in. Uh, it's only going to get better from here on out. All right, darling, that's it for us. Kevin, Justin, thank you so much for joining me for today's Vogue Off the Rack review. Until next week, as we say, love ya. Stay home safe, guys. Peace, darling. (laughs) 